Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. In the Gospel of Matthew, there are a number of verses right at the beginning in what we call the Beatitudes, where the word blessed or happy is used. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. But near the end of Matthew's gospel, there's another blessed that we often overlook, but it's a beatitude too. Jesus said, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's in Matthew 25. And he goes on to say, who are these blessed ones? Well, he says that when I was hungry, you gave me food, and thirsty, you gave me drink, and a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me, and I was in prison, and you came to me. And then they begin to say, Lord, when did we see you naked and a stranger and in a inhospitable situation? When did we find you in prison? And came to visit you. And then he gave this answer. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. That statement that Jesus made about visiting him in prison, in the persona of his little brothers, has been a guiding light to a ministry known as Prison Fellowship. It's a worldwide ministry chartered in some 120 countries around the world, the largest prison ministry to prisoners, ex-prisoners, and their families in our country today. And I have the privilege today of talking with the CEO of Prison Fellowship Ministries, Jim Liskey. Jim, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you, Timothy, and I appreciate the, the opportunity to talk to your listeners today. I'd like uh, to begin by just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been a pastor. You're a minister of the gospel. Uh, kind of how has the Lord led you to undertake uh, this important role of leading Prison Fellowship Ministry? Well, you know, so often, Timothy, we can all uh, testify to the fact that, that God brings changes into our life and our ministry by, by bringing personal change to us. And that certainly was uh, the case in my life and my family's life about nine years ago. At that time, I'd, I'd been in pastoral ministry uh, about uh, 17 years, and um, my nephew uh, ended up going to prison. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we're a, a white Caucasian family, and, and actually my, my brother and his family attended an excellent Southern Baptist church, mm. a great youth program, um, very faithful in church, good godly parents, and, and you know, if, if you would, did all the right things that, that Christian parents do. And, uh, but my nephew, unfortunately, late in his high school career, uh, made some very poor choices and um, found himself in, in an addictive pattern in his life and uh, ended up a methamphetamine addict. Mm. And uh, that addiction led him into criminal behavior and uh, over the course of a few years found himself in, incarcerated in a state facility. It was really uh, you know, standing with my mother at one occasion and having someone ask my mother, how are the grandkids? Normal question that, that we all ask in our mm. middle class and, and even upper middle class environment. And 
my mother proceeded to talk about all of her grandkids except her oldest, and that was my nephew who was incarcerated. Talked about uh, one of uh, my other nephews going into the military and serving his country, and uh, one of my nieces getting a scholarship to a school of architecture, and and all of these wonderful things that were happening with her grandkids, and, and frankly, our very blessed family. Uh, but she did not even mention her oldest. And I remember walking away from that conversation thinking, wow, what is it like to be a grandmother? Mm. And I really then had to go back to my own church. And uh, I stood in the pulpit uh, one Sunday morning, and I said, you know what, I-, I have a question. And they knew my story, and my nephew had given me permission to share his story in, in hopes that it would be a, a Romans 828 moment, not mm. only for my nephew and our family, but for many others. And and I asked for a showing of hands. I said, how many uh, of, of us here today, and I did this over the course of four services on that particular weekend, have a relative that's incarcerated. And I was pastoring in, in really a very comfortable part of our country in southwest Michigan. And uh, one would think, you know, an area in which having an incarcerated uh, relative would be rare. And 25% of our church raised their hand. Wow. And I realized in that moment that uh, even as a pastoral leader, I had been ignoring a very, very large segment of, uh, of not only our congregation, but of our community. That really set our church and myself and the rest of our elders on, on an adventure and uh, really into a lot of uncharted territory. And by God's grace, we were able to start a, a ministry, a not-for-profit uh, organization in reentry, uh, serving three counties in the state of Michigan. We were able to work uh, really hand-in-hand with the state, with the governor of Michigan at the time. It, was, it really just God showing up in, in a multitude of areas and the state welcoming a faith-based organization into that process, working with legislative change that made it possible for Christian organizations to even receive state contracts mm. in, uh, in helping people come back to communities. And we uh, ended up starting another not-for-profit in addiction recovery and realizing that uh, over 90% of individuals who are incarcerated have some issue with addictive behavior. Mm. And that uh, if we were going to be the church, we, we needed to provide it a place for healing in that. And then that led to uh, starting another not-for-profit in temporary employment because uh, we were asking Christian businessmen and women to you know, give individuals a chance coming back to the community, but also realizing that Christian business people are not social services, and they have a responsibility for stewardship of what God has given them. So we needed a, a group of people to come alongside of employers to help train and develop mentors. And over the course of about seven years, we were able to really engage with this part of the population that you uh, so rightfully mentioned in Matthew 25, the prisoners. Yeah. And really understanding what it meant to be the church. We had to take some real risks. We had to lead the way. Uh, we mm. hired some ex-offenders and mm. that created issues with our insurance company, and we had to wander <laughs> through that yeah. process. And, yeah. and, of course, you know, how do we assure safety of the flock on a weekend? And uh, how, how do we put mentors alongside of these men and women coming out of prison, and then that led us into ministry inside the walls, because we started to understand that working alongside of prison fellowship was vitally important, because we needed to help men and women who are incarcerated redeem their time, Mm. and really use that time of incarceration to prepare to get out in the best possible way. I met Chuck in that process uh, Uh through a mutual friend when I was in West Michigan, and and I became friends with him, and, and then when the position here at Prison Fellowship Ministries opened, he actually came and asked me if I would consider it. I promptly told him no. 
<laughs> which uh, I wondered. I went home and asked my wife. I said, I'm not sure it's biblical to say not no to Chuck Colson. But at uh, that point in time, uh, you know, I have to confess, Timothy, I, I had uh, a smaller vision for life and even ministry than God yeah. had. Uh, first time I heard of you was from Chuck because I think he had spoken at your church or did had some ministry yep. in your area and came back just saying, here's a pastor who really gets it. And uh, he was so enthusiastic when you came on as the new leader of Prison Fellowship. And one question you might want to ask, you know, we all associate Prison Fellowship with Chuck. He was the founder and beloved leader of our ministry for so long. Uh, uh, he went home to be with the Lord uh, a little over uh, a year ago. But um, how's Prison Fellowship doing now post-Chuck Colson? Uh, you know, by God's grace, Timothy, uh, everything is up and to the right. Mm. Um, you know, Chuck was a, you know, a phenomenal theologian. I, I think history will remember him as, as, if you would, a modern-day prophet of our time. But Chuck was also an excellent leader mm. who uh, was gifted in building teams. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had the privilege of coming and, and joining a well-established team. Uh, a ministry with a great reputation, and uh, our last year, um, you know, we've seen growth in uh, every state in the country. Uh, the Federal Bureau of Prisons actually came to us just this past December mm. and said, will you come into the federal systems? And uh, we've had that opportunity. God has been so generous with us financially. Um, you know, we all look back and, and we realize that, you know, what Chuck did obviously was of the Lord, but also, you know, Chuck wouldn't even let Prison Fellowship Ministries be named after him. Right. Because he didn't want it to be about him. He wanted it to be about the ministry. And uh, the foundation he'd lay, he's laid is secure, and, and God just continues to bless and grow the ministry. I'm so glad you began our conversation on a personal note talking about your nephew, because that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? It's heart-to-heart, soul-to-soul, uh, individuals, persons made in the image of God. But I wonder if you could sort of step back for a moment and, and give us a, a sense of the larger picture of prison life. What is it like to go to prison? What are some of the issues behind the bars today for the inmates who are there? Prison is a place, you know, Chuck liked to use this phrase, and, and, and I really have adopted it. It's a place where the mind and the soul corrode. Mm. Um, it's a place of loneliness. It's a stag, a stagnant, a stagnating of life. Um we find that when people come out of prison, they come out at the same emotional level that they went in. So if you can imagine being a young man, 21 years old, a young woman, uh, you break the law, you make a poor choice. And in our country, uh, the rule of law is paramount. And uh, you, you find yourself in prison at 21. You spend 10 years there. When you come out, you come out at 21. Mm. Uh, you, you find yourself in a prison situation with time. And men and women tell me often, that the clock ticks very slowly in prison. Mm. The best thing we can do for men and women in prison is what I mentioned before, understanding that reentry into community actually starts at arrest. Mm. We, we, we don't start reentry when someone comes out. Um, we mm. have to start it early on. We, we find that when there is programming that changes the soul and the mind, uh, the redeeming, the, the reclamation of the person through Jesus Christ, the, the sense of, of a renewal that happens, those individuals journey in prison with a sense of hope. Mm. Individuals without journey, without Jesus, journey without hope, we tend to see them coming out more angry, more bitter, and with less of a desire to be in community than when they went in. 
That's why we are so passionate about getting the gospel inside the walls and getting the church inside the walls. Mm. Not just individual believers, but you know, when someone who's incarcerated comes to Christ, they're gifted by Jesus the same way all of us are. Mm. And when when we find an, an institution where the church is alive and well, and we're able to help men and women express their giftedness, not only do the individuals change, Timothy, the institution changes. Yeah, the attitude changes, and it goes from hopelessness to hope, from a sense of it being a dead end and a waste of time, from it being punishment to being a time in which we can redeem it, prepare ourselves for coming out, and really prepare ourselves to have purpose when we get out for the cause of Jesus. You know, I was privileged to serve on the board of Prison Fellowship for a number of years, and we would often, uh, every year or so anyway, have a meeting in connection with a visit to a prison. We'd spend a day with with inmates. And I'll never forget, you were there, Jim, in Louisiana, Louisiana State uh, Penitentiary. Yep. We spent an entire day uh, with Warden uh, uh, Kane, uh, Burl Kane, and uh, that was such a transformative experience, not only, I think, for me, but for many others on the board. Uh, and one of the things we noticed there was the fact that there were there was a dynamic church culture within the prison system. There were a number of pastors who were inmates, uh, and they were having a tremendous impact on the culture of that place. Say a little bit about that, if you would. Uh, Angola, Louisiana's, yeah. Louisiana State Penitentiary, is uh, you know really one of the great success stories. Uh, Warden Kane, um, in his time, has taken that from being the bloodiest prison in America to literally being the safest prison in America, even though 80% of the inmates will die inside those walls. Um, right now, you're, you're not even sentenced to Angola if you have uh, less than a 50-year sentence. Mm. Uh, you know they they have a hospice care there and 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 you know they make their own caskets there. But the biggest thing is is over fifty percent of the inmates are now followers of Jesus. Mm. Uh, Morgan Cain has initiated initiated a Bible school and a seminary. There are five congregations inside those prison walls. A couple beautiful chapels and places yeah. of worship and. Warden Cain even has some some units in his prison where there are no guards at night. And the pastors take care of making sure there's order and safety for the inmates. Yeah. And uh, now the inmates actually uh, uh, kind of tell on each other when uh, there's something brewing that's that's not good. They take very uh, very seriously the fact that the church inside the walls should bring peace and tranquility. And I'll tell you what, you go there to worship, and uh, you go there to hear a sermon. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you, you better be prepared to be active. Well, that's guys, right. Yeah. That was a yeah, you talk about coming to Jesus in equality, Timothy. You know, there's something about everybody being dressed in the same color and everybody there knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're sinners saved by grace. Yeah. And when they go to Jesus, they go uh, as authentic uh, brothers who uh, just love the Lord for what he's done. It's the real thing. So uh, that's a sign of hope, actually. I mean, it, uh, it, despite the despair and all the other things we could talk about that are prevalent in the prison system today, uh, we know that God is able to move and to change lives and to change systems. And that's what Prison oh, Fellowship is about, isn't it? It is. You know, and Angola is a great example because there, men who will never get out of prison are being used by the state of Louisiana to train men to get out of prison and live productive lives. And and I asked one guy, so why why would you do this? You're never going to get out. And he looked at me and he said, because Jesus has changed me. And every time one of these young men leave here, 
they leave changed by Jesus, and they take a little bit of, be, of me with them because we're brothers in Christ. And, and I heard him say that, and I thought, wow, I've got a lot to learn about a servant attitude. And uh, you're right. He has hope. He has a hope yeah. of Jesus. He has a hope of eternity, and he wants to transfer that to the others. Yeah. Now, Prison Fellowship Ministries is a, is a wide-scoped ministry. It involves, of course, work with prisoners, uh, their families, uh, but also uh, reform of the justice system, uh, a justice fellowship, and the Colson Center for Christian Worldview that speaks into the culture on issues of life and integrity and, um, and justice. Say a little bit about the whole structure of Prison Fellowship and how it works together to advance the kingdom purpose. You know, we really have the privilege of stewarding um, Chuck's spiritual development. Uh, he gets out of prison, and uh, an inmate looks at him and says, you know, what are you going to do for us now? And Chuck promises he's going to be back, and Prison Fellowship is born and uh, has been going back into the prisons on behalf of Chuck ever since for uh, over 30 years. Uh, he then quickly realized, um, as uh, the wise man that he was, that the system was broken and that uh, sentencing and, and the way we were treating men and women in prison needed to change. And Justice Fellowship was born as an advocacy and lobbying um, organization that, that uh, really works on behalf of the incarcerated and their families and really works on behalf of safe communities to ensure that uh, our laws and public policy are truly set up in order to reform men and women to come home as uh, citizens who are going to contribute to culture. And then uh, as Chuck continued to journey, he realized that, um, you know, it really uh, is poor moral choices that mm. cause people to end up breaking the law, and that is it's the lack of moral formation in the morally formative years. And the Colson Center for Christian Worldview was born out of his passion to ensure that a solid understanding of how we do life through the eyes of Jesus and uh, in agreement with Holy Scripture. How we do that and, and how we impact our culture wherever we are, whether we're in business or ministry or uh, a stay-at-home parent, whatever the case is, how do we understand that everyone is created in the image of God, that sin has created this issue of evil in our world, mm. and that Jesus Christ is the answer. Mm. And, and that life in Christ returns us back to being kingdom participants, and the activity of the church is to bring the kingdom here to earth, the expression of heaven, on a daily basis in whatever environment we're in. So really, the Colson Center is our foundation. Mm. We wouldn't go into prisons if we didn't have a Christian worldview. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't see inmates as being created in the image of God, and, and frankly, we would probably have an attitude of, you know, you made your bed, so you're going to have to sleep in, in it. But really, when we have a Christian worldview and we understand that Jesus looks at all of us with this unbelievable um, gaze of grace, mm. and that none of us are above another, and that Jesus is giving us incredible instruction to engage with the prisoners, the Colson Center then builds our whole understanding of why we do what we do. Justice Fellowship takes that Christian worldview then into the halls of justice across the country, and Prison Fellowship acts out that Christian worldview on a day-to-day -day basis with inmates, their families, their children, and those who are returning back to our community. So really, we're stewarding Chuck's spiritual legacy, and it, and it creates such a joy for us to know that we're able to do that. The Colson Center last year uh, trained more centurions. Those are individuals that go through a, a course of study in Christian worldview, a very rigorous course. Uh, we trained more centurions last year than ever before, releasing them into every element of our culture to be salt and light. 
A justice fellowship is, frankly, Timothy, um, we're struggling to keep up with all the requests that we have to go into states to help them do justice reform and to uh, really audit their criminal justice um, laws and public policies. And prison fellowship is uh, in high demand. And one of the reasons is, honestly, we save states money. Uh, with mm. Jesus, the rate of return uh, to prison three years of release is about 10%. Without Jesus, it's about 50%. Wow. Our states pay between thirty-five dollars and $45,000 a year per inmate. So it's just a proof that a Christian worldview works. It works, works. yes. Yeah. Now, Jim, I'm speaking to you from Birmingham, Alabama. That's where Beeson Divinity School is. And Alabama and Prison Fellowship have a long history going back together. Chuck was imprisoned here in Alabama. And a very unique ministry uh, that still continues and thrives today in Prison Fellowship called Angel Tree was also begun here by our wonderful friend Mary Kay Beard. So I wonder, particularly on Angel Tree, uh, some some of the people that are listening will be well involved in Angel Tree. Others may be hearing about it for the first time. Say a little bit about the concept of Angel Tree and how it's working and how individual pastors and churches may be involved. Uh, Timothy, Angel Tree is so vitally important to the transformation of families. And Angel Tree, and you mentioned Mary Kay, and She's still an unbelievable ambassador for mm. Angel Tree. It started when she was in prison, and she saw that mothers had no ability to purchase gifts for their children. Mm. And the mothers were wrapping up uh, things from the commissary and, and you know, little things that they could trade and barter for. The, the mothers would wrap them in toilet paper, and when their children would visit, would present them as Christmas presents. And she said, you know, the children were thrilled. It didn't matter what they were getting, but just that their mother remembered them at Christmas. And when she got out, she set up a... A Christmas tree in a mall right there in Birmingham and started Angel Tree and yeah. she just started with hanging the names of the children of the, the ladies she'd been incarcerated with and people would come and pull that name and, and provide a gift for the mother to give to the child. Well that has expanded uh, this year to nearly 400,000 children across the country in every state and uh, it, it provides people an opportunity to partner with an inmate who has a child or multiple children go on behalf of that inmate, knock on the door, and say, this is from your dad, this is from your mom, there's a message that uh, the inmate provides that, that we can uh, then share with that child and leave those Christmas gifts with that child. And, and it's an entry point. And, uh, you know, having been a pastor, and you know, I know at Christmas we are all busy, but I'll tell you, Angel Tree transforms the church because it puts the person in the position of Matthew 25. It puts mm. the person right on the doorstep of the child and gives the opportunity for that local church to say, hey, we're just down the street. If there's more we can do for you, we have these children's programs. We love to be a community for you. It also then positions the church to be there when the inmate comes out. The Pew, latest Pew study tells us that there are 2.3 million children in our country with an incarcerated parent. In, in all areas of life, a child of an incarcerated parent performs lower than other children. Academics, mm. social behavior, um, statistics tell us that 50% of children with an incarcerated parent will be incarcerated themselves if the cycle is not broken, if there's not some intervention. Those children live in a greater rate of poverty, and they have um, less of an ability to get middle-class jobs once they get um, to the age where, where they can be employed. 
Angel Tree becomes an opportunity to enter into that family's life as the local church to bring the gospel and then to bring the community of believers alongside of them. Kathy and I, my wife and my kids, we did Angel Tree this year, and and uh, we all of our families were in Muskegon, Michigan, and and we took uh, actually on the 23rd of December, we went and knocked on doors. Mm. Uh, some families didn't even have a telephone, and uh, we were able to present that gift to a child, and and to say, and and all of ours had uh, frustrated father, but I was able to look as a man into the eye of that child and say, you know what, your dad loves you. He yeah. remembered you at Christmas. It's a wonderful gift, Timothy, to the chaplains of the prison mm. because the chaplains can sit down with the inmate when they fill out the application and urge them to be parents. Some of the inmates need to call and find out, you know, what is my child's favorite color or what yeah. would they like for Christmas? Yeah. And it, it initiates the parenting behavior. So Chuck, Chuck said it's the win-win-win ministry that we do, but I really feel that uh, if there are pastors listening, you know, pastor for next Christmas, I, I believe... This is a game changer for your church mm. because it puts people on the doorstep of the people that are listed in Matthew 25. Touching hearts and changing lives. Mm. And that's what Jesus would have us do. Well, my guest today on the Beeson Podcast has been uh, Jim Liskey. He is the CEO of Prison Fellowship Ministries. We've been talking about this wonderful worldwide outreach in the name of Jesus to prisoners uh, and their families. Thank you, Jim, for this wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you, Timothy, and uh, I, I know you have listeners that are, are supporting the ministry and praying for us, and uh, I, I really want to take the opportunity to say thank you to everyone who's engaged uh, just so graciously in the ministry over the years. We couldn't do it without you. Great. God bless you, Jim. Thank you, Timothy. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.